We are back with the mailbag edition of The Fix for Thursday, February 29th, 2024. And we will start with David from Surf City, North Carolina. Um, Why was Jimmy Hart a manager for Hulk Hogan? I know about the difficulty of having a manager for a good guy, so what was the reason for having Jimmy Hart in Hulk's corner? His act with over-the-top yelling and the megaphone never seemed to fit with classic babyface Hogan. Your thoughts? So I've never heard Hulk Hogan or Jimmy Hart explicitly say that what I'm about to say is the case, but my very strong impression based on just like the way Hulk operated was Hulk liked having people that he knew were loyal to Hulk around him. You know, he got, you know, Brutus Beefcake, Ed Leslie, um, you know, jobs for, you know, over, you know, 10 years or so. Um, when he went to WCW, he brought in a bunch of people that he was familiar with, you know, Jim Duggan, John Tenta, um, the Honky Tonk Man, et cetera. And so, you know, when he when he started that, you know, or did the, those organizations later, like he, he went into TNA too. Like he brought in a bunch of his his friends when he did the other thing that was like touring in um, in Australia and Asia. Um, it was the same deal. And so my impression has always just been that, like he liked Jimmy Hart. He knew Jimmy Hart from years ago. And so, so he just pitched, hey, let's make Jimmy Hart my, you know, my manager so I can get Jimmy Hart a payday and he can be around. Um, do you know anything to contradict or back that up? With? No, that's, I think, spot on. Yeah, just liked having, liked having him around and like giving him a job. And yeah, I didn't think it enhanced um, his character much. I mean, I like Jimmy, but, you know, it, it felt a little um, extra. Uh, he says, thanks. I look forward to thanks every week. You two are without a doubt the best minds in the business. Oh, thank you kindly. Absolutely. Uh, Sam says, hey guys, coming off what I thought were two very lackluster New Beginning events, I was wondering if there was anything you think New Japan could do to help revive interest in the product. I feel like due to the formation of AEW, New Japan is always, it was always going to cool off, but I can't help but think they are not helping themselves with their booking decisions. House of Torture shenanigans, pushing ex-wife, excuse me, pushing ex-wife, pushing ex-WWE cast-offs and ex-wives, um, lack of preparing the next generation of stars, etc. Thanks for everything you do. Sam, well, I can refer him to part one of the fix. Uh, Todd, anything you want to add? Yeah, I will just underline again, enough with the House of Torture. I mean, not even like cut back on that. Just get rid of that altogether. That's crap sucks um and then the other big you know the other big key is uh is creating new stars and you know i i'm sure they are well aware of that at that point and it's at this point more just a question of what the uh, the strategy is for that as opposed to um whether they'll uh whether they'll do it or whether they won't do it um and you know they've because of the way they've they, they could have had the strategy of we're going to bring these guys in and we're going to push them as big deals right off the bat. And I advocated for that. That was what I thought they should have done, but it's too late at this point. Like they did not, you know, they Umino and, and, uh, and, and Suji and, and, uh, and Narita and, and Uimura all came in sort of like, you know, your typical, uh, go overseas, do your excursion and come back and sort of rise up the card that way. They did not do the, uh, you know, the Okada thing where, you know, you come back and you're starved pretty much immediately. Um, and so that, that is now off the table. And so that just sort of a question of, um, you know, of how uh, slow you're going to play it. And um, my, you know, my position would be to go, uh, 
would be to go to go quicker um, because you know they need some of these people to start carrying things because they don't have a lot of people that can carry things. Um, really, the only one left is Naito. I mean, Tanahashi is a big star, but he's not going to drive business at this stage of his career. And so it's you know it's a matter of getting some some of those guys into drawing uh, you know drawing entities, and that's you know that's. Uh, Easier said than done. It's not, you know, like I think some people, because <clears throat> we're used to in recent American wrestling promotions sort of staying at a certain level um, when they transition to new people, there's just sort of this feeling that, like, well, you just, you know, you put on the show and, you know, maybe things will get a little bit worse, but it'll basically stay the same because, you know, WWE with the WWE brand. Um, you know, they, they generally were moving in the wrong direction, but it wasn't like switching stars made much of a difference one way or another. It was just sort of, you know, well, whatever, who's in charge? It's, you know, WWE sort of driving things either way. That's not the way, the way it is in Japan. I mean, in Japan, we've seen, you know, plenty of times more recently and in, in the past where the people who are the drawing cards are no longer in a certain place or they sort of fade and you know, the, the people that follow them won't be able to um, to draw in the same way. And rather than it just sort of staying at the same level, it'll just go down. And, you know, the people that you try to make into the next generation stars just will not take at that level. And so um, you got to make them take at that level. To me, the, the two guys that are are, um, are the most obvious guys to go with are, are, are Umino and, and Suji. Um, you know, Umino, um, I was skeptical of earlier but i feel like he's clicking um i think he's sort of getting more confident he's showing more personality the crowd's getting behind him um and he's a good wrestler and so you know there's something there and with suji i mean i think most people see it he's got a charisma about him and he's a very good wrestler and i could see you know i I mean you don't want to feel like you're just sort of recreating things from the past but i could see them you know using um Umino is more of your sort of straightforward, you know, uh, popular babyface with a crowd behind him, you know, sort of the Hiroshi Tanahashi type role. And I could see Suji being more of a Naito-like figure, sort of more of an anti-hero. He's got kind of, you know, he's got a grin that sort of suggests he's trouble. And so, you know, you could try to build them up at the same time because of the fact that they've got different personalities and sort of try to create your, you know, your, um, uh, your, top star and then you're sort of anti-hero you know uh, you know sort of uh type character and uh that's that's the way i would be i would be looking at it all right uh up next bobby from aquia harbor virginia says i'm interested in seeing todd's ability to answer two list questions in the interest of ensuring I and all of the fixed listeners get to hear Todd's true ability to work through these questions in real time, I'm entering the question in hidden text. This way, Todd can avoid the question until the live recording, at which point Wade can highlight the question and answer sheet to read them. This is something I didn't know Gmail could do. As always, the fix is the most valuable part of my VIP membership. Thanks. All right, Todd, have you cheated? Of course. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a curious, I'm a curious sort. I, I, I looked at it. I was like, I'm curious what this thing is going to say. So I, I, I cheated in the sense I looked at what it was, but I, I didn't cheat in the sense that I, after looking at it, I didn't spend any time thinking about it. So, uh, but I didn't really need to. I could, you know, I, the, the, th- the two things he asked, I can, I can do off the top of my head, regardless of whether I thought about it. 
All right, so question one. List all the WWE champions in order. We'll provide an end point of the end of 1998 when things got too crazy with title switches, which is where I was able to make it to. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll actually slip up at the end there. So let's see here. Buddy Rogers, Bruno San Martino, um, Ivan Koloff, uh, Pedro Morales, uh, Stan Stasiak, uh, uh, Bruno San Martino, uh, Superstar Billy Graham, um, uh, Bob, Bob Backlund, Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan, to, to, to do um andre the giant randy savage hulk hogan sergeant slaughter ultimate warrior hulk hogan undertaker um rick flair randy savage rick flair bret hart yokozuna bret hart um kevin nash to do, 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 do um wait wait sorry 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 uh bret hart um bob Backlund, kevin nash um then back to bret hart Shawn michaels um, Sid, Shawn Michaels, do, 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 um, that was when he vacated and then they put the title on, on Bret Hart and then Sid and then Undertaker and then back to Bret Hart. Uh, are you, are you following this by the way, Wade, am I miss, missing any here? You, you're, I'm following, but I'm not able, uh, yes, you're, you haven't been perfect. Okay, what did I mess up? So um, it, that's the part that's stressing me out is trying to remember <laughs> what the mess up words you were going. So um, there was Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Bret Hart, Yokozuna, Hulk Hogan, Yokozuna, Bret Hart, Bob Backlund. And somewhere in there. Oh, Hogan. I yeah, forgot Hogan's yeah. short term. Okay. Yep. So that, and then you um, got Ultimate Warrior and Sergeant Slaughter out of order. Oh, okay. That was just a slip up in terms yeah. of saying it quickly. I, think, I, I know the way it went there. I think that's it on the fact checks, but I started okay. just to honestly panic a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. No, no, no. I, I, you're, you're definitely right on the Hulk Hogan thing yeah. and the Warrior Slaughter thing. I, yeah, I mean, I might have said them out of order. I, yeah. You know, it was obviously it was it was a Warrior oh, being did. Hogan and then and then Slaughter and then Hogan. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So then Shawn Michaels won it from Bret Hart and then um, Steve Austin and then uh, they did the Kane thing quickly and then they went mm-hmm. back to Austin and then and then they vacated it. And then they did the double pin with Undertaker and Kane. I forget. I forget whether they just declared it vacant at that point. Um, and then they put it up for grabs in the tournament, which The Rock won. And then Mick Foley. You said end of nine. It, I mean, it doesn't matter the timing. I think. I think it might have been like he won the title before the end of the year, and then the but it aired after the end of the year. Anyway, Rock to Foley, and then they went back to Rock, and then I think they flipped it one more time before they went back to Austin again. So yeah, that's that's that. Okay. All right. Uh, next one. Uh, gotta highlight this to reveal it. This is exciting. Um, this concludes 1998, at which point we saw the Rock of repeatedly swapped belt, then Austin, Undertaker, Austin, Triple H, Vince McMahon, all kinds of shenanigans. Then he writes, question number two, list the closing match of all WrestleManias in order. I got stuck at WrestleMania 34. Side note, the night two Mania cards began at WrestleMania 36. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll stop way before that because <laughs> the, once you get into the twenties for me, those those sort of flow together for me. So um, I don't I don't remember the year to years once you get there. But yeah, I mean obviously Hogan and uh, Hogan and, and T against Orndorff and Piper, Hogan and Bundy, Hogan and Andre, Hogan and uh, sorry Savage and uh, um, and DiBiase, Hogan and Savage, um, Hogan and Warrior, Hogan and Slaughter, Hogan and and Sid. Um, 
Hogan and Yokozuna, although Bret and Yokozuna was the real main event. Um, uh, but you asked what went on final, uh, went on last. Uh, Bret and Yokozuna, uh, do, 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 Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, Bret and Sean, uh, do, 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 Undertaker and, and, uh, and Sid, uh, Austin and, and, uh, and Michael's Austin and Rock, um, Big Show, Rock, Foley, Triple H, um, Austin Rock, Hunter and Jericho, um, uh, Lesnar and and uh, an Angle, um, Benoit, Michaels and Triple H, um, Batista and Triple H, Cena and Triple H, and uh, yeah, twenty three is where it starts getting fussy for me. All right. What was twenty three? Um, yeah, I just clicked on it and everything um, went black again. Um, sorry, what number? I uh, twenty three. Twenty three. John Cena, Shawn Michaels. Okay. Um, and then uh, Randy Orton, Triple H, John Cena, Randy Orton, Triple H, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, The Miz versus John Cena, um, The Rock against Cena twice, then the Randy Orton, Batista. Daniel Bryan won at 30, of course. Um, Brock and Roman, Triple H Roman. Do you know what came after that? Say that again? Do you know what came... So, <clears throat> Roman headlined four WrestleManias in a row in one-on-one matches. Um, wait, what? didn't one of them turn into a triple threat? Um, not according to his list. Oh, okay. So, the, I, I guess the, the triple threat with Rollins coming in was, uh, was later then. Um, so, um... the first one... I don't think so. I mean, Maybe I just left it out. Yeah. You know, one one of them was you know was uh, uh, um, was Triple H for sure, um, and uh, who's who are the other ones? Um, yeah, I don't remember. Um, yeah. So the order was. Did I just scroll past? Okay. Brock Lesnar, Triple H, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar. Then uh, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte, Becky, and then we got into the night one stuff and night two stuff. Um, so yeah, the key, the key, yeah. the key to why I don't remember those as well, other than just obviously not caring as much as time went on because just more information, you're not bothering to memorize it. Was it like they reached a point where, where rather than having like one match that was the clear main event because they had the multiple titles, and they had the Undertaker strip at the, the streak at the same time, which which um, yes. you know ended a couple of shows at that point it sort of became ambiguous what the main event was and they sort of pick one for the end you know for the end but it didn't really feel like a main event it's sort of the old setting where like that's the top match it was usually like there was you know somewhere between two and four matches that were about the same and you know it, it become then becomes sort of confusing what's what so like you know for example you bring up the you know the fact that cena and michael's was the final match on WrestleMania 23. Um, but, you know, if I recall correctly, that was the, that was the Vince Trump show, you know, and that was, you know, that was clearly what drew, if it wasn't that, it was 24, you know, it was one, maybe 25, but like, like that was the drawing card and like something else had, you know, something else went on last, but you know, that was a real main event. And so at that point it sort of becomes sort of thorny what, um, you know, it was going on last in my mind. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, uh, up next, uh, Brian from Phoenix, the official Torch correspondent for the March 1st edition of SmackDown in Glendale, Arizona. 
Hello, friends. After listening to so many talking heads trying to figure out the main events of WrestleMania 49 and I2, I started thinking about what if other WrestleManias had this problem, with quotes around problem. In a few weeks, I'll ask about WrestleMania 20, yuck, and 30. For this edition, I'll concentrate on WrestleManias 1 and 10. Both are in Madison Square Garden, Saturday and Sunday. Official lineups. WrestleMania 1, which match headlines night 1, and which match headlines night 2. Picking from the matches, of course. Well, I mean, clearly night two, if we're using night two as the bigger night, is going to be Hogan and NT against Orndorff and Piper. That's that's the you know the, the top match. And the, the two choices for the first night would be either Andre and, and Big John Studd or, um, or, um, or the women's match. And that's tricky because, like, the, it would be difficult to end with Andre and, and Studd given that it was, like, a body slam challenge as opposed to a yes. match. So I think if you did, like, two nights, you would probably just change that to a match rather than just ending with that. But they did not show a lot of confidence in the um, – in that women's title division after the beginning. I mean, they, they started strong, you know, they had, you know, they, they headlined the show on, on, on MTV and they, you know, they focused on, on, you know, Wendy Richter with the, um, with the, uh, with the, the connection with Cindy Lauper, but it was not drawing well in the arenas. And by the point they'd gone to WrestleMania one, they were no longer trusting that as something that would sort of headline on its own. And at that point, the, you know the house was important. I mean, you were you know you were trying to get the closed circuit and the live gate, and I just don't th- think they would have had confidence in Cindy, La- you know, C- Cindy Lauper and and Wendy Richter to draw a house in the main event. So I think they would have gone with Andre and Stud. But um, again, it's weird to close a, sh- a show with uh, with a body slam challenge. But I think that's what they'd go with. It's amazing too. We included a little uh, chart here in the match times. I mean. Hogan and T against Order from Piper, 13 and a half minutes. And then the previous matches, women's match, six. Uh, Andre Studd went about six. The tag title match uh, went about seven. JYD and Valentine, seven. Um, Brutus Beefcake and David San Martino was the second longest match of the night, which I would not have uh, have guessed, um, at almost 12. Steamboat, Matt Bourne, only four. That's just crazy. Um, you know, the, the match lengths at that time. And, and it got even it got even wilder because in at WrestleMania like one, um, you still had a uh, a relatively small number of matches compared to what they were doing at you know at WrestleMania five, um, WrestleMania six, some of those later shows. By the time you get to like WrestleMania um, five, it was even more pronounced because it was they had a whole bunch of matches they were trying to pack into that into, and they just were going boom 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 boom. Yeah. House shows were like that too at the time. I mean, yeah, just like regular house shows had so many matches, and they were uh, often, most often, very short. Right, uh, so, or, oh. or you got the flip side where they'd go longer, but they just do nothing. You know, they just sit in a you know in a, in a headlock yeah. for ten minutes. Yep. Uh, all right. When when I think about those house shows, I still think about the ones I didn't go to that were in in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota, just down the road from my house. Um, I'd listen on the radio, and Roger Kent would do play by play on a local radio station. So I'd listen to his play-by-play and you get to intermission and he would just be hard selling. You can still get tickets and be here in time for this match and this match. They're doing a hard sell mid show to go uh, drive to the arena and, and buy tickets. It was, it was weird to have radio play-by-play of a, of a WWF house show, but that's what happened. Yeah. I would have loved that. I and mean, we yeah. definitely didn't get the, uh, the, the radio version of the house shows back then, but I would have, I definitely would have tuned in. I mean, the, I guess the sort of qu- equivalent for, uh, for me as a kid was, you know, watching the wrestling pay-per-views in the scrambled screen, which I would do. Oh, yes, yes. All right, uh, so WrestleMania 10. 
By the way, for people who aren't familiar with that, like the way it, it worked back then was that you had the you know you had the pay per view channel, and if you ordered the pay per view, you would get the picture and you'd get the sound. But if you didn't order the pay per view with some providers, you would get a scrambled version of it. So you would get like sort of like the waves, and you wouldn't really be able to tell what was going on, but you would have the sound in the background, and so you just put that on, and you could sort of follow the sound of what was going on with the show, and then get the garbled. Um, the garbled, uh, um, you know, the garbled picture. Kids would definitely do that with, <laughs> I remember, with pay-per-view porn as yes. well. That was um, that was a, uh, a thing back then. It was in a little day. harder. Sort of, again, a little harder to get uh, access to that in that era than, uh, than, than kids today. Um, well, not, not the, the scrambled version, but yeah, no, the actual version. The yes. actual version, yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a, uh, a challenge back in those days. All right. Yeah, so WrestleMania 10. I'm I'm surprised you asked about WrestleMania and just in the sense that WrestleMania 10 feels easy, right? Like you have Brett and Owen on, and yeah. and Luger and Yokozuna on night one and Brett and Yokozuna on night two. I I don't see what else you would do. Um, I mean that does have the negative that Luger and Yokozuna was an unsatisfying finish, but um, I'm at a loss to figure out how else you would break uh, that up. You could, I mean, you could the ladder match for the IC title. Do you think maybe he's thinking you could do that last on one of those shows? It, it, I suppose it was, you know, it was you 18, could, 19 like, minutes. It was a showcase match. They might not have known what a legendary match it would go down as, but you wouldn't. You wouldn't want the inter. They would not put the intercontinental title before the world after the world title match, though. I know. So, like, yeah. if you did that, you would have to have like the two world title matches both on night two, which right. I mean, you could do. I mean, that's ultimately what they did with one night. But it would be kind of weird to break it up and then still have both the the title matches on the same night. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Lunder Blaze, Leilani Kai was not a candidate. God, that went three minutes, 20 seconds. Um, that was not a candidate. Yeah, not a strong... Uh, yeah, they were so they were so hurt, if you recall. They had a 10-man tag that was scheduled for the show, and they were running so long because of the ladder match and the Bretton-Owen match that they had they shot a vignette mid-show with like the mm. heels arguing about who is going to be the team captain. <laughs> And then they said the match was canceled because the oh. heels couldn't decide who the captain was going to be. And then they put it on Raw um, at some point in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Can't wait. I, I have just can't wait to see what your next question is going to be, Brian. All right. <laughs> um, Dustin D says, uh, Wade, I hope uh, last week your knee was well rested because you publicly complained about people not caring about how you're doing. Just about Todd, Todd's rest. Wait, 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 hold, hold up, hold up. Before we finish the question here, Wade, how's your new doing? Um, good. Really good. Thank you. Thanks for asking. All right. Let's move on to the question. Uh, he, uh, he opened it by going, hi, dear pet owning pals, by the way. Uh, so first question. Just saw an ad from Nero Suzuki and Maki Ito in March as somebody who saw him savage Asuka, a very tough and skilled female wrestler who I think could have competed in the UFC. I'm thinking... What, how, what, how, no, how, what, no, please, God, no, what. Uh, many a male wrestler would be terrified of a worked match with Murder Grandpa, and many have been beaten to a pulp. Asuka booked her match herself and therefore paid him to savage her like a pit bull. Why did Minoru beat up Asuka? Was it a work turned half shoot, or did Asuka simply book him to beat her up so savagely? I'm really uncomfortable with the beating Asuka got, but I don't deny her right to book herself into a beating. Minoru has done worse to men who have been more mismatched and who are definitely less tough and shoot skilled than Asuka. Anyway, Minoru Ito is not something I will watch, even if he doesn't do what he did with Asuka. That's a complete mismatch and intergender event I'm not watching. More power to Ito if it's great. 
I mean, as you mentioned, I mean that you know Oscar wanted to have the match. Uh, this was before to be, so she was she was kind of at that point. But like that was, you know, that was just what she wanted to do. And and I, I get the mentality. It's sort of like I'm, you know, I'm a tough professional wrestler, and I don't want you treating me differently. I want you to give, you know, have a you know a stiff, um, serious match like you would with a man. I can I can understand her thinking that way. No, which is not to say I'm like um, dismissing people who would dislike the match. I mean, if you don't want to, if you don't like that match of like the sort of the level of, you know, sort of, of Minoru Suzuki having a, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a stiff match with a, you know, with a female wrestler is much more than him. I, I get that, um, totally. Um, but you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was her, uh, desire to do it, do it that way. And I, I, I understand. I, I would not expect that at all with the Maki Ito match. I mean, unlike, you know, uh, Oscar, who sort of like cares about sort of being like sort of a tough character and is more, you know, has more of that mentality. Maki Ito is very much sort of a comedy character. Um, so, I mean, I think they're just going to do a comedy match. I, I, I can't imagine um, Maki Ito wanting to have, you know, that type of match with Minoru Suzuki. All right. Um, number two, there was a question from Marita last week about Vince McMahon's sexuality. I'm not a sexuologist, though I dabble in criminology. But rich old men abusing young women has always been about power more than sex. The powers of Viagra, the cocaine, the rush. Vince, in a coerced threesome with another disgusting old man, is about power, not about lusting for the flab and wrinkles. Submit to my old pal, pal. Same as sharing videos with other people. Showing power, abusing power, getting high on power. Vince being bisexual or fluid isn't any part of the equation. I'd use some trigger words, but I don't want uh, McDevitt after Wade. Oh, coincidentally, he retired. Oh. Any comments? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, uh, I, I understand the point that is being made. Yeah. And he says, I see Nick Nemeth is the IWGP global champion who is Wade's favorite wrestler to have won this title. Uh, Nick Nemeth. Wow, you're taking him over David Finley, huh? Yeah, for sure. I would have figured you would have gone the other way. No. All right, uh, You've turned around on Nick Nemeth. <laughs> I have, yeah. Um, Jake says, hello, Todd and Wade. What are your thoughts on the arguments of Sting retiring undefeated in AW versus the old school mentality of the, oh, I hate this phrase, the time honored, oh, actually, he didn't say it. The time honored tradition of taking a loss on your way out. That's better than doing the honors, which is just, ah. Um, I think that many fans assumed that the storyline with Sting would end with him putting Darby over on the way out to give something to the next generation. Well, I can't say for sure that Sting and Darby are beating Matt and Nick, even the Bucks, even if the Bucks win. Are they the right guys to have as opponents for Stink? Farewell. And in general, are we past the idea of veterans putting over the ones sticking around on their way out? Todd, differentiate circumstances here, situations. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I, I, um, I, I'm fine with um, with someone losing on the way out. And I'm fine with them not losing on the way out, depending on the circumstances. I mean, obviously, you know, you want to um, try to. Uh, you know, to get over younger talent, but that it, that the, the best circumstances for that isn't always having um, them beat somebody that is a uh, you know babyface legend on on the way out. You know, it, it depends on what what your options are. Um, and, uh, and it's not like he's going somewhere about- else. You know, like that's that's the part that, like, if you're retiring when you're younger and you have like you're a heel you put over a baby face it's a big moment but like he's he's a legend who's who's retiring he's not going to another territory and i think the whole thing of kind of do the honors uh on your way out is more based on the territory system of leave the territory stronger when you leave it as a courtesy before you go wrestle somewhere else and that's 
different than leave, giving the fans the 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 celebration of of a legendary babyface not leaving on a down note. I, I just think those circumstances are so different. They're they're different. I, I don't know that I would go that strong in terms of the difference because I mean either way you 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 know you're trying to get over your own you know your own talent so. I mean that sort of factors in regardless of uh, of whether the other guy is, is leaving for somebody else. So I I, I do think there's a definite differentiation a, a definite differentiation there. Easy for me to say. Um, easy for me to say that too. Um, but but uh, I, I do think that um, um, I, I I do think that there's um, you know strong similarities between the two situations too. Um, let's see here if I missed anything else from the question. I'm pretty sure I have. And uh, oh yeah. Going back to the Bucks' opponents, um, I as we talked about earlier, I, I didn't think they were a great choices as opponents. I think the build has been fine, um, but I think the build is basically just you know Sting's final match. Whereas, ideally, I would have liked to have had a, opponents where you really are caught up in who's going to win. And it feels like most people are thinking of this, eh, whatever. It doesn't feel like particularly important to them whether Sting wins or not. I think most people would like to see Sting win, but it doesn't feel like this is a, a match with big-time stakes where people are speculating what's going to happen. And uh, that would be a nice dynamic to have on top of the dynamic of it's Sting's final match. All right. Uh, Scott from Canberra, Australia says, did you notice that Logan Paul was keeping those brass knuckles next to his winky prior to giving them a kiss at the elimination chamber? That's not cool. Sounds familiar. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Julian in London. Dear Todd and Wade, AW has lots of predictable matches on TV. Uh, so does AW. Or so does WWE. AW gets criticized much more for this by seemingly everyone, myself included. Why is this? Is it because AW puts more emphasis on in-ring? Is it because WWE stars get over through promos and stories? Or is it something else? Is there a something about AEW predictability that's worse than WWE predictability? Would love to hear your thoughts. You're breaking up like, like crazy, by the way. But um, I will uh, uh, continue on uh, there. Um, as, as far as... Um, well, first of all, like... I, I think that AEW is much more predictable than WWE, so I, I don't um, accept the premise, if that's being offered up, that they're comparable in that regard. Yes, it's true that WWE does have some predictable matches, but watching WWE programming, I, there's not that AEW thing where lots and lots of matches, they start and I just know exactly what's going to happen from the beginning. And the, the big differentiator to me is that with B, when you're talking about predictability, it is usually in in the sense that you've got you've got an idea of where things are going, and it makes more sense for um, one person to be winning just based on where they seem to be going and how hot the characters are right now, which is sort of a traditional pro wrestling thing. That's 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 fine. The thing with a, that it makes AEW predictable is that every week they constantly match up the same group of people that always win against the same group of people that always lose. And they just, the people from the group of winners wrestle the people from the group of losers over and over and over and over again. And the people from the group of winners always win. The people from the group of losers always lose. That to me, to me is quite different than just being able to predict, well, you know, Sammy, you know, lost. La, you know, last time to, to Nakamura, and he needs to build up a little bit of momentum, and so Sammy's probably going to win this one. Or you know, Zoe Stark and um, and uh, and Shayna Baszler are a little bit more protected, and 
um, Candice and Indy just lost for the tag titles. So um, Zoe and uh, and uh, and Shane are probably going to win this match. That to me is quite different than than Bounty Hunter Brian Keith, who is you know Owen twelve on AEW television, is wrestling um, Alistair Black, who has never lost on AEW television. You know, like that's 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 different. Um, and you know, I think you know it's it's a difference between say like the UFC model where you know they'll have people that they're behind and they'll give them a little bit more favorable matchup matchmaking, but it's still a competitive match and you're not quite certain versus boxing matchmaking where you often pick you know a person that you know is going to lose and you throw them in there just to lose and it's a big you know it's a you know it's it's obvious what's going to happen the whole time and there's no doubt as to what's going on. All right, uh, up next. Whoops. There we are. Uh, Julian from London, dear Todd and Wade, can Tony Khan still trust crowd reactions? As AW crowds shrink, the live audience is increasingly made up of true believer fans who like almost everything AW does. This means that get uh, this means things that get big pops live can be counterproductive or just not interesting to viewers at home. The best example is the Adam Cole MJF segments that were hugely over with live fans, but led to a drop in viewership. So now we see acts like Swerve and Tony Storm getting big reactions live, but can we trust that interest in them is mirrored outside the arena? Can Tony Khan trust his ticket-buying fans? If you can't trust fan reaction, how do you book effectively without becoming like the worst errors of WWE where what the fans want was ignored? So I, I definitely don't think you want to go to the place where you're just dismissing crowd reactions i think you want to pay attention to the crowds and um you don't want to be in the position of being like you know vincent man was at points where it's just like you know i will do whatever we want and who cares what they're thinking um so i i I don't think you know I, i don't think you want to move towards that mentality i think you want to pay attention to what the crowds are saying with that said um i think you you should be able to differentiate some of the different reasons that people get good crowd reactions and there's the big crowd reaction where people are are getting behind someone is cool and is really they're really invested in seeing them succeed and then there's you know like oh i find this act amusing and they're getting behind it because it's sort of a bit that they're enjoying but there's not that demand that pent-up demand to see that person in a big dramatic position they're not that's not someone that they're thinking that oh i want to pay money to see them in a key match it's just oh they're sort of amusing i i'm enjoying what they're what they're doing and you just got to look at the individual acts and sort of you know discern what the crowd reaction to those people is saying about what you should be doing with those characters and so um, I don't think you want to be in the position of ignoring the crowds on that, but I do think that not just in AW, but in a number of companies, there's been often too much attention paid to crowd reactions to acts that um, aren't driving your business forward and um, is is more just comedy novelty than uh, than anything else. All right. Um, what the heck? Oh, there's my tab. Uh, next up, Neil McDonald of Cardiff, Wales. Good morning or afternoon or evening, Wade and Todd. Hope you are both... Cover all your bases. Uh, happy, happy Leap Year Day. Um, hope you are both well. I have a few questions, if I may. 
Have you ever published something randomly sent in by someone without checking its veracity and authenticity? Slightly rhetorical, really, but how did someone with Dave Meltzer's experience put that out about Rock and Triple H? What else does he put out without checking? That was a big thing in the um, SmackDown spoiler era. Um, when you know people would just wait with beta breath to see what was taped on Tuesday nights that would air on, on Thursday or Friday. And there was a whole like like Russian uh um uh uh troll factory practically sending fake SmackDown taping results. So I would always I should yeah, I mean I would always um check with somebody in WWE or I would just know it was a trusted correspondent. You know, it wasn't somebody emailing for the first time. So I'd do an inbox search to make sure it was someone who I had an established rapport with um, when publishing them. Because fake SmackDown spoilers were were a regular thing. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to think of another example where if I got, like, burned by someone intentionally doing it or just made a mis- someone made a mistake and I went with it without checking. And I can't think of any instance of that. It's it's not like, oh, I'm perfect in that regard. I just don't know when that would have happened. And it's the same thing with, you know, reporting stuff from sources in wrestling. You're like if it's a first time source and you don't know them or trust them or have uh, a sense of if they have an agenda, then you know, I'm gonna check before especially if it's anonymous, if they're not willing to put their name to something. Um, then you definitely want to get, you know, backing. But if it's somebody you have a rapport with and it's sort of innocuous, you know, hey, was this person backstage? And you check with them and they say yes. Um, or was anyone backstage? That used to be a thing like, oh, did anyone visit backstage? And someone tells me, I don't get a second source on it. If it's somebody I just trust who ignores and lied to me and it's an innocuous story. Um, that falls in the category of, you know, it, it's safe and to, to do it without um, verifying um, with, a, with a second source. So, yeah, I, I can't think of anything that jumps out. Um, how about you, Todd? Um, I mean, it's, you know, sort of a, uh, it, it's, you, you get, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, it was more, I think, less a generalized question and more sort of a shot at Dave. Um, but I mean, you see, you know, you see people sometimes make mistakes in terms of reporting on different things and that's, you know, that's just going to happen. And I think the reporting of, uh, of anything, but yeah, I mean, you've got to sort of, uh, keep an eye towards sort of recognizing, you know, the information and, and, uh, and doing a, a good job of being able to spot sort of, uh, I mean, it's, I, I, there's different levels to it. You know, one level, there's sort of the, the, the point about just not falling for bullshit, but there's also sort of like recognizing, um, recognizing like what, you know, recognizing, Sort of the week from the from from the the week the week from the chaff in terms of the um, um in terms of trends in terms of analysis um in terms of sort of understanding um what's going on and so like uh, on the one hand you've got to sort of be sharp in terms of saying okay this doesn't check out this is likely not true but also like you you can get bits of information and you can draw false conclusions about it like you you know you good analysis is recognizing okay this you know this number or this piece of information is an outlier um or on the flip side this piece of information sort of establishes something very clearly um that you know speaks to a larger point and isn't just a you know a a blip that there's nothing to read into yeah all right. Uh, secondly, I did a course on dementia last week, which was eye-opening and quite sad, actually. There was a lot on vascular dementia. Do you think as more becomes known about that, 
about this, that there will ever be a time that, should he be retrospectively diagnosed with it, that Chris Benoit's final actions will be seen in a different light. I mean, I think that was something that was, you know, was taking taken into consideration at the time. That's my and, first thought, yeah. Um, and even more so um, in the, you know, in the following years is we've gotten more and more information about CTE and about different factors like that. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that absolutely something that um, enters in when considering, you know, what, what Chris Benoit did, or for that matter, it's something that I think is, is, is worth considering with someone like an OJ Simpson, which is certainly not to argue that, that they should be morally absolved of, of actions that they took, just that it's part of the context of sort of understanding. I and mean, we've gotten plenty of information that, um, that suggests that repeated shots to the head can increase um, temper, can make people more volatile, can increase depression, can increase violence, can lead to all sorts of, 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 um, of, uh, of, of negative byproducts. And so, uh, yeah, that's, um, you know, when you look at someone that's been um, in a profession that leads a lot of, uh, you know, leads to a lot of uh, um, head trauma over an extended period of time, and then they do something uh, very violent, I think it's it's very fair to um, look at that and, um, you know, consider that as as part of the story of how they got there. Again, that that's not, you know, that's not a story of 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 uh, of, of, of moral absolution. It's a you know, it's a story of uh, understanding the. Uh, understanding the context all right and lastly what is the actual process for announcing wrestlemania venues and is there any is there a reason why years in advance aren't announced anymore keep up the classwork guys kind regards i wouldn't take it as a given that they don't get back to doing that um i mean i think it's just sort of they're trying to line up the right deals and i I think it, it it's probably less a deal like sort of a new normal and more just they've for whatever reason, I don't know the particulars, but it certainly seems like that for next year, they've gotten sort of caught up in a jam of one sort or another. I don't know whether it's because they're negotiating between a couple of parties and they want one, but they can't get the deal that they want, or there's just been like issues of one sort or another, or the sale led to people having different ideas. But I, I think this year is going to be a bit of an outlier in that regard. Um, and as far as what they're looking for, I mean, obviously it's been made very clear that they're looking to get, um, you know, they're looking to get, you know, tax breaks and money from um, the uh, the cities that they uh, that they run in for these big events, and um, particularly if you are a um, uh, a secondary option as opposed to one of the uh, you know one of the you know the, the the real you know top choice cities, and they are um, you know they're they're very open to, uh, to to taking your call if you're willing to kick in a nice deal to them to uh, um, to run uh, their big event in your city. Yeah. All right. Uh, Azana St. Louis says, in light of AEW's upcoming documentary on Sergeant Slaughter, what are your thoughts on his career and strange reputation in the business? I, I don't know if I think of him as having a strange reputation in the business. I mean, he there was certainly the, the controversy about him claiming to be in the military when he apparently was not. But I don't think of him as being like a figure that's sort of thought of as a... Uh, um, as sort of a you know like has like an, a, a reputation that stands out. Go ahead, he makes man. some news with some of his social media posts, just defending certain people or certain things. But I don't even know if that is what he's talking about. And I don't know if that stranger. It might be. I haven't heard yeah. about that. What 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 does he say? I, I he was um he went after 
uh, what's her name in the military the, who got pushed and then depushed over and over last year, year before? Lacey Evans. Lacey Evans, thank you. Um, and he, so he like got really worked up about something having to do with that. I didn't even, I don't even remember the details on it. And then there was someone else, I feel like a few years ago, he stepped up and defended that just turned into a thing for like four days. Um, and I, I wish I could remember the specifics. So if, if that, if it's on, that's what you're referring to or not, you can email back, but he has been, I strange wouldn't be my word, but a, a bit of a, a bit of a lightning rod, at least on at least two or three occasions, just through some posts on social media. And so that, that in general could be what he's referring to. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, perhaps that's the case. Um, as far as, uh, as far as Sergeant Slaughter in general, I mean, he, you know, he's a guy that had a, uh, a great peak and, um, not as much longevity. And I mean, you go back and you watch his, uh, his prime from, you know, the late seventies into the, uh, into the mid eighties. And, um, he was a very effective performer. I mean, I think he's best known as a baby face because of the GI Joe stuff, but I thought he was better as a heel than as, as a baby face. I thought he was a great heel in the WWF. Um, in the late seventies into early eighties, I thought he was a great heel with Crockett and had that really successful feud with, um, Don, Don Kernodal against, um, against Steamboat and Youngblood, um, that, you know, really drew well. And it was a great combination of him being a, a good wrestler who would bump around a lot for, um, particularly for someone of his size and then being a great promo and just sort of the, uh, the, um, the, the you know the 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 menacing um sort of uh intimidating drill instructor who is you know insulting the crowd and um and is uh you know sort of a threatening you know threatening military figure i thought it was a very effective act and then you know he turned face and had that feud with with uh, iron Sheik, and that was you know that was probably the hottest run of his of his career even hotter than than, than the heel stuff and you know became a very popular figure and very successful and probably too successful because he uh, for his own good and the sense that he wanted you know more money he wanted better um better deals in terms of the cuts of things and uh and vince said eh, i don't want to offer this up and uh, and let him go and um he never really reached the level he'd been before i mean the awa was at that point dying so it was you know it was not the um i mean yeah, I mean, I think dying's fair, but it, I mean, it was not—it was not like by any means in the terminal stage, but it was not moving in the right direction, and uh, it—he it, was not able to—he um, was not able to reverse that trend by any means, and uh, you know, from there, it was—it uh, um, was not a lot of uh, not a lot of success. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that period from you know maybe. 78 79 through 85 or so was you know a, a big time run and he was a great performer um and you know the rest he was sort of a known you know as a famous figure because you know sergeant slaughter had a big name and he had the gi joe thing and you know i remember as a kid he was one of the first wrestlers i would have been aware of um and i don't think it would have even been wrestling it was just like sort of gi joe that you know from the you know sergeant slaughter by the way, uh, the Sarge thing with Lacey was about the Cobra Clutch. And Sarge's uh. daughter took some shots at Lacey for using it. And then Sarge said that he wishes Lacey had asked for permission, invitations for sincerest form of flattery, but it would have been nice if she asked. And he went off on uh, 
on her using it. Like Steve Austin used to say, DDT should not be a transition move or a high spot. It should be a finisher. Um, you know, respect Jake Roberts. And um, he was upset that she was using it, but it wasn't always to win her matches. So I don't know if that's, again, what Azana's saying is strange. But that Yeah, was, I mean, that's not terribly controversial, that that part. No, no. And, but yeah, and that was just a couple couple years ago that that happened. And when I, I interviewed Sarge in person, um, and he was like, just really, I mean, he was always, I was just always told, very like normal guy. Um, just, uh, and, but he was really engaging in a, in a good interview. Um, better, better than I anticipated, actually, based on what I'd heard about him before as somebody who wasn't like necessarily, um, the biggest personality with strong opinions. And I guess that's just shown itself to, to not be true. Um, it, it I, I think he was kind of he was right. I, it, he was a little disengaged when he worked behind the scenes. I think is is what I was hearing. He wasn't super up on the business when he got a back backstage gig. It, it says something they kept him around for as long as they did because you know he was you know affiliated with that company for yeah you know for for, for decades. Um, and you know there weren't a lot of people that they kept around for that long. Yeah, and maybe his disengagement was just <laughs> he sort of felt like he had a job. Um, you know, a job for life or, or, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't fun or novel or new anymore. And he was just kind of putting in the work for the paycheck. Let's speculate more. All right. Number two, does New Japan drag itself further down by pushing for Jack Perry and Matt Riddle, who both appear to be under dark clouds from their actions from last year? I don't know that, um, I don't know that Jack Perry is, is, a any, any big deal. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, he had the thing with punk, but you know, it happened and it's over. I, you know, I, I don't think like, you know, there's any, um, anything's going to follow someone from getting into a one backstage fight. As far as riddle goes, I mean, riddle, you know, the riddle thing is more problematic, but I don't, I don't sense that. I mean, there are definitely people that care about that, but I don't sense that most wrestling fans are, you know, are, are that sort of caught up in, in, or or necessarily know what to make of the the accusation of sexual assault against him, and I'm not I'm not justifying that. I mean, maybe they should be more concerned about that. But um, in terms of like the question of whether that's going to affect New Japan any, um, I don't I don't sense that. Um, you know that that the, the you know the Japanese fans I don't think are gonna are gonna um, care about it at all. And I don't think that North American fans from New Japan care that much either. So I, I don't I don't think it's gonna cause them much of an issue. But um, you know I, I mean I it's it's a tricky subject because like I you know I've I've heard his his story of that and I've heard her story of that and. That's one of those ones where I just don't know what to make of the whole thing. I mean, I, sometimes there's ones where I'm like, okay, this is very credible. And sometimes there's one I don't know about this one. You know, like this doesn't seem very credible. And I, yeah, I don't draw strong conclusions one way or another. I, I mean, it just sort of, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel, um, I don't feel confident enough to, and, and confident enough that I have a sense of, of what actually happened to um, draw broad conclusions about how he or or how he should be treated. So, yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, it's up to each person to decide if they have enough information to make a personal judgment about how they feel about someone. Some, like you said, are, you know, pretty close to open and shut just based on admissions or evidence or, or uh, behavior patterns or, you know, multiple credible or just the credibility of the way the story is told that's the other I, thing. Told. yes yep. i mean yep. yeah i yeah. mean i there have been times where the, you know i'll hear a story and there's no 
corroboration at, at all. But, you know, like I just hear the way the person is, is, is telling the story and I say, that sounds very credible. Um, yep. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, number three out of three uh, from Azan. What would be your approach to booking Tamatanga for WWE? I mean, the big question um, there is how long they're going to keep the bloodline thing going because I, I don't feel like you really need like excuses to sort of prolong this bloodline thing. I'm ready to get into the final stage and just get to the Roman Reigns versus um, Solo Sokoa feud. I mean, obviously with Roman Reigns versus um, uh, the Rock lingering as well. Um, so, I mean, introducing someone else to add a bunch of new dynamics doesn't necessarily strike me as something you need to be doing. But, I mean, that is what would seem to make the most sense for Tom Tonga. And, I mean, I suppose you could have him be someone that that drives a wedge between the two sides because i mean solisco has sort of been lurking for a while and you could have him as sort of somebody that's in the ear of solo sokoa and um you know if you had him on the side of solisco and solisco is sort of the leader um and uh thomas in the uh you know, in the background is sort of a heel there, then that you could that could eventually allow you to put, you know, Jay or, or others on the side of Roman, which I think people could be potentially into on, on the babyface side. So you know it opens possibilities. Although I, I do think Tomatonga is is uh is better as a face than a heel, but um yeah, in terms of what role seems, you know, just natural for the story, putting him in in there would um make sense to me. All right, Zach in Texas said, Robin sent in an email last week questioning why people were into Cody's story, and Todd responded in part that Cody connects with the audience, and he downplayed the impact of the dusty portion of his story. I see it differently. To me, there's nothing about Cody that connects with the audience. He doesn't feel like he has anything in common with the fans. He's always in a suit and tie, which makes him come across as stuffy. You mentioned Dusty wearing fancy clothes, but there was a charm there. It came across like the clothes didn't really fit his personality, but he was playing dress-up. As soon as he donned his denim and cowboy boots, that felt like authentic, and the audience could relate to that. Cody enjoys wearing suits, something the average fan can't identify with. At least in AEW, he was a voice of the revolution. He doesn't even have that in WWE. I think you underestimate the significance of the Dusty part of the story. I think the fans want to see Cody win because of Dusty. My worry is that if and if or when he wins the title... The title becomes like Shawn Michaels in 96. Fans are happy in the moment, but it fizzles out quickly in the following months because they were invested in the story, not the person. Your thoughts? Um, so, I mean, the, the, the context, again, was was uh, an email that was was quite dismissive of, uh, of Cody in general. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I... I, I uh, I, I disagree with that. You know, I, I don't think that Cody should be, um, you know, broadly dismissed as uh, in terms of his connection with with the people. I think he does have a connection there that goes beyond, um, you know, just sort of one little thing there. Um, as far as uh, um, as far as uh, as far as how much you, you know, you divide up the uh, the the uh, between the um, the connection to the to the people in general and the uh the uh the story with him going after this title i mean i think they both play a role um you know i, I wouldn't be so dismissive of Shawn michaels either i feel like with uh i feel like with um with Shawn, there was a uh you know the, a connection with people and i don't think it was sort of like once the you know the boyhood story um ran out that it didn't uh it didn't work anymore i think that um I think they had a pretty good run. I mean, house shows went up. I mean, the you know the ratings um, uh, in pay per view business didn't uh, 
didn't spike by any means, but there were some positive positive trends there. Um, and as far as Cody goes, um, yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't want to dismiss the the. Um, the story they've told of him going after the title as being a part of it. I mean, I think people enjoy sort of rallying behind someone as they're they're accomplishing a goal. I just think that Cody has a um, a connection with 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 people that goes beyond that. Now, your points about him like sort of not really being coming across as a man of the people is is, is well taken. I think that's you know I think that's fair. But I think people can very much get into people that aren't men of the people. I mean, people love Ric Flair, you know, and he was you know. Portray, he wasn't portraying a, you know, a man of the people at all. Um, and so I think that, you know, that plays into why Cody um, down the road might be effective as a heel as well, if he wants to do that at some point. But I, I the, the point I'm, I'm drawing with, with Cody is, is more just, I think that, um, that fans just like him. He seems like a star and he seems like a nice guy and people enjoy seeing him. And I think people also like the idea of him, um, being someone that, you know, was part of that other group that is sort of our enemy. And he came back to WWE and he's with WWE now. And I think people sort of like that dynamic of it as well. If they're sort of diehard WWE supporters. So I think all of those things play in there, but yeah, I, I, you know, the, um, the chase for the title is, is, um, you know, is, is a part of that. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's, I could see it's possible once he's, he's, uh, he's champion that, um, people might feel a little bit less of sort of an emotional connection to him, but the key to the whole thing is not so much the emotional connection, but whether he's able to draw. And I think he's going to be able to continue to draw after champion. He might be able to draw even better as champion. Um, and I can, you know, I, th- I think in the next couple of years, you're going to look at, you know, house shows when, when Cody is, uh, is, is on the shows will, will do well. I think he'll do well in the ratings. I think he's just going to be an attraction for WWE. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the important, that's the most important thing, uh, beyond the, uh, the particulars of, uh, of, uh, of how people react to, um, you know, to, to him on a week to week basis. All right, up next, uh, Chris uh, Chris F. says, Hello, Todd and Wade. Uh, Chris from Fairview, excuse me. I hope your week has gone well so far. I wanted to get your thoughts on a few topics. I've been thoroughly enjoying the 18-year flashback episodes. Something that is approaching during that time period is the impending release of Kurt Angle from WWE. It was always shocking to me back in 2006 for Angle to go from World Heavyweight Champion at Mania in 2006 to requesting his release in August. Wade, you had mentioned at the time of the Eddie Gross, Eddie Gross passing that at least one other wrestler was on a death watch or something akin to that. Was this wrestler Kurt Angle? If not, how concerned was the locker room and administration overall about Kurt's health and well-being at this time? Were there ever any obvious red flags and warning signs of Angle's drug issues that became evident on television? Um, man, I, there were when I say at least, um, that was a rough time, but I think that was uh, in particular Kurt Angle at that point. Um, but I don't know that there were signs on television, Todd. Do you remember that? No, nope, that was my thought as well. Yeah, um, yeah I, th- I think that there was, you know, there's a lot of discussion at that point um, uh, behind the scenes about um, about Kurt Angle. But I hadn't seen it um, uh, go into the uh, into the uh, uh, into the television portion of the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, how likely do you think it is that Roman loses the title at Mania? Uh, on my end, trying to envision life after Mania with Roman dethroned is both weird and hard to imagine. Do you think Roman's character, presence, and storyline post-Mania 
will have as much impact or be as meaningful without the title. Um, sorry, let me just pull that up again. I got distracted by something, so I have the language here. Um, I think it's very likely that Roman loses the title at WrestleMania. I will be quite surprised if um, if he does not. Um, I think it's obviously the time to do it, and I think they know it, and I think Cody's going to win the title there. Um, as far as uh, as far as Roman no longer being champion, yeah, I mean he's been champion for a really long period of time, and um, it'll be different without him uh, without him holding that um, that title anymore. Um, um, to, to, to do, um, how will he be effective afterwards? I mean, it, you know, we're going to have some time to, to figure this thing out. I think that, um, I think that a lot of it is going to depend on how over this feud that I've mentioned with Solo Sokoa gets, because I could see that being a big deal. Um, you know, Roman as a baby face, you know, going, you know, going after his, uh, you know, his, uh, his, his cousin, um, uh, who's a heel. I think that could be very effective potentially. I could also see like there being difficulty translating um, Roman Reigns as a babyface, given he's not ver- around very long and, you know, uh, very much. And there's sort of being a frustration about him in the babyface role, which was not as, uh, as present when he was in the heel capacity. So I, I think that that could play a role in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very much an open question. Um, but I, I tend to think that, um, that he's going to be a uh, a very effective big time star even after he loses the title, and we've we've seen that a lot of times where you have like the sort of the big run, and it is you know it's successful as it's going on, but it often <coughs> it often becomes feels even bigger afterwards because it becomes like this legendary thing, like you know you sort of remember things as even more, you know, you remember the, the rose colored glasses and they seem even more big, even more legendary than they w- were when it was going on. And so I think it's entirely possible that that happens with, uh, with Roman reigns and like people like view him as like even more of like this sort of legendary figure after the title has been dropped. Um, I, uh, I think there's a very good chance that, um, that, for the remainder of the time that Roman Reigns is wrestling, that he is a, that this is the low point of how big of an attraction he is. I'm not saying that's a certainty, but I, I think that's definitely a possibility. All right. And uh, next, what are your current thoughts on Drew McIntyre re-signing with WWE? If I were the higher-ups and Paul Levesque, I would be doing anything financially possible to keep him signed. On the flip side, if I were Drew looking at the dysfunction and meandering storytelling in AEW, I'd prefer to stick with WWE, especially after how well he's been booked as of late. Thanks again for all you do. Looking forward to potentially calling into the SmackDown Post show tonight. Um, Todd? Totally agree. I think that Drew is is doing... um, And I've liked a lot of stuff Drew's done over the years, but I think this is the best stuff of, of Drew's career. And, um, I would, uh, I would view getting him re-signed as, um, as, as big of a priority as there is, um, in terms of, uh, the wrestling end of that company. Yep. All right. Uh, Will Cooling says, hi, Todd and Wade. Hope you're, Hope you're both. <laughs> Congratulations on clearing the mailbag backlog. I'm sure that makes you feel much better. A discussion that you had during the last mailbag got me wondering, do you think any wrestlers have ever been in a Turkish prison? J- 
just a, a series of, of, of troublemaking questions here from, from one Will Colling. Uh, I'll read them all. Uh, do you think any wrestlers like movies about gladiators? Do you think any wrestlers have ever hung around gymnasiums? And do you think any wrestlers have ever been in the cockpit of an airplane? And finally, which NBA player do you think was the greatest, but your dad thought didn't work hard enough on defense? See, now we sort of verged into a second area of troublemaking with the end. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a cavalcade of, uh, of, uh, of troublemaking questions. So do you want to answer them in order or in, in order of what your, your preference or, or what? I, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't, does it count ahead, finishing, William. does it count finishing the mailbag if you don't answer these? Um, I mean, probably not. So you go first. Win. <laughs> yes. No, no. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. There we go. Perfect. I feel better now. <laughs> All right. Andrew from Ajax, uh, sent this in while, while, uh, we've been recording. Hello, gentlemen. Is there a tangible benefit to all of AW's partnerships with other promotions, or is it just about dream matches? AW has a loaded roster that could benefit from more TV time. As an AW fan, I always see AEW as a bigger promotion. It seems that there is more negative, as having an AW wrestler lose makes it look like the lesser promotion has better wrestlers. I tend to lose interest in AW when they do these partnerships, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Thanks for all your hard work and great content. Um, I mean, I think the New Japan partnership has been beneficial to them in the sense that, um, you know, the uh, the Forbidden Door shows have done um, have done pretty well on pay per view and have done quite well as uh, as live attractions. And I think the uh, the the uh, the partnership with New Japan has also made it easier for them to sign some of New Japan stars. So that's benefited them in the long term. And um, you know, those wrestlers have been over when they've come to uh, to AEW. Um, so I think the New Japan partnership has been beneficial to them. Um, AAA, I mean, like most of the people that are, have been affiliated with AAA, um, to some degree are people that would have signed, I think with AEW for a limited number of deals, regardless of whether they were working with AAA or not. So you can sort of look at it on one hand as, um, not really necessary, but on the other hand, some of the AAA talent has, you know, the talent that was associated with AAA when um, they first signed with AEW um, has gotten over with, with AEW, so you can view it as a positive in that way. Um, with CMLL thus far, I haven't seen much in the way of returns. I don't sense that um, the crowd is is, uh, is particularly into anybody that they're bringing in from CMLL. Um, so you could certainly make the argument that they'd be better off um, uh, devoting that time to other people. But like, what do they do with their television time anyway? I mean, they just, you know, they just put people in these squash matches that go on 10 minutes and they just sell for, you know, the bounty hunter for eight minutes and then win at the end. I, I, like, is that, you know, is that time better or worse spent than, you know, than having somebody wrestle someone from CML? I mean, I, I don't know. It seems about the same to me. I mean, if they were, if they were really utilizing their television time with like sort of angles and matches that were getting people over, then I would feel differently. But I, I don't feel like they're, you know, they're they're capitalizing on that television time much as it is. So, you know, sort of the, you know, the novelty of of you know one of these wrestlers from another organization versus you know another match with um, you know, with with uh, Queen Amanada or Matt Seidel or or um, um you know, come on there, losing again doesn't seem like a big difference one way or another. All right. Uh, if you want to contribute to future, the future fix mailbag, the email address is the fix mailbag, appropriately enough. The fix mailbag at gmail.com. Uh, thanks, Todd. We'll talk to you uh, late Sunday night, hopefully not too late after uh, Revolution.
Yeah, hopefully not too late. By the way, got a recommendation for for the people here. There actually are a bunch of television shows going on right now, like yeah. a lot of returning series that I like. But one that I really enjoy they they debuted with like the first two episode episode Tuesday, and um, I don't think I mentioned on this show, but I was talking with this about this with with somebody. But like, I remember seeing the previews for this, you know, a while back, and thinking, "Ooh, that looks really compelling." And then I heard that this show had been like. Um, it had been in production for a long time and they'd like apparently like switched showrunners or like, you know, switched people around and re-edited things. And I was like, okay, a lot of red flags here. This probably isn't going to be as good as it looked. But then I watched the first two episodes of this thing and it was great is Shogun. It's on FX and Hulu. Um, and, um, it's great. It's like, it's set in, um, in, uh, 17th, I think the beginning of 17th century Japan. And it's, there's a, it's the feudal era. The, the, the different rivals are, um, or, you know, the, the, the Shogun has died and the different rivals are sort of gearing up to try to take control. And at the same time, this English, um, explorer sails in and, um, and he is, trying to to make um way you know make a, a headway into japan and and as it is only the uh you know the portuguese are, are currently there and he doesn't like the portuguese and so you've got these different powers all sort of jockeying for uh for for power and they don't trust each other and it's sort of like a um a sort of game of thrones set in uh in feudal japan and i think it's just been terrific over the first um you know the first two episodes so um i i i definitely uh recommend it shogun excellent all right i added it to my list of uh shows you've been um thanks todd thanks listeners and uh we'll talk to you next time